Let me pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we pause in our laughter to give you thanks for this day. We thank you for this church and this community. We, this week we celebrated the birth of a nation, this nation, and it is still one nation under you. Regardless of the many challenges to your name, we remain steadfast. We ask that you bless our time together. Let your word be heard. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be back. I had the opportunity, I guess it's been about a year and a half, to be here for about a day and a half and do the uh, women's retreat. And so I brought along my sidekick this time. Um, Mark and I, we've been married, golly, 27 years. We have a daughter who's 23 and getting ready to get married. And then we have a son who just graduated high school and is heading to Chicago to study film So we're kind of easing into that empty nester phase. Um, We do have, and Mark's like, oh my gosh, he's going to bring it up. But we do have two Cavachon rescue doggies at home, little babies, so we won't be totally alone. But we're excited about this new um, chapter in our lives. Brad and Laura, there is so much we could say about Brad and Laura. We have known them, and when we were driving here, I think it's been 25 years, Linda and Larry Snowbarger, the Farnsworths, um, many other wonderful couples that we've stayed in contact with. Um, the Martins, too. They were here first service. We've, golly, started a Sunday school group, and it was, it was amazing. It was really a cool time for us. And newly married and kids and all of that. So we had an opportunity to have dinner with Brad and Laura a couple nights ago. And as we were kind of reminiscing, I said, you know, there was a lot of laughter at the table, But I said, okay, Brad, you do realize you're giving Mark a mic, unfiltered. You're not even here to give him the evil eye. And who knows what stories, Brad's stories, are going to come out of his mouth. But then he quickly reminded Mark that he's the one who's actually officiating and marrying our daughter um, back in Kansas City (laughs) in October. (laughs) So he said, oh, you know what? Uh, Remember that because when you walk her down the aisle and say, who gives this, or he says, who gives this uh, uh, woman away? And Mark says, well, I do. He's going to say, he said, well, I might just say, Vinny and Courtney, just pause here for a second. Let's talk about this man. And um, he'll have the mic and be uncensored. So all that to say is we love Brad and Laura so much. And we are just so proud of really how God has worked through them and what is happening here at Core Church. And I got to hand it to you guys. Uh, Thank you for recognizing sabbatical Mm -hmm. and the meaning of sabbatical and what that that really entails. Uh, I can tell you we work with a lot of churches. Uh, that don't understand that and don't recognize it, don't support it. And it is a biblical principle um, for sabbatical that we take time for the Sabbath. And uh, if you think about pastors, they don't have a pastor. Every pastor deserves a pastor. And we work with churches so that they can see that there are needs there with our pastors. And I appreciate you guys recognizing that. A disclaimer with this message. Oh, first of all, let me tell a Brad story. Because he's going to do it, right? <laughs> right. He's gonna, we were living up in Chicago about 20 years ago. And um, he and Laura and the kids uh, were going to come up to Chicago and visit. I said, well, great. He said, it's this week. I said, well, we're going to be out of town. But you're more than welcome to have the house. Big mistake. <laughs> Nothing like getting a... We didn't have text messaging, but we had a pager. I got a page that said, Mark, where do you keep the plunger? (laughs) 
that's not a page you want to get from a house guest. And we returned home, and we, I found every pair of underwear that I owned strung out through the house. On the ceiling fans, on the refrigerator, in the freezer, all over. So... Uh, that's well, one. It's funny because mine weren't touched, so I think it was either Laura, you know, or at least we know that Brad has some kind of boundaries. It's only Mark's underwear, <laughs> it's not mine. Laura. I was, yeah. Uh, but anyway, a disclaimer before we get started on the message. Uh, while this is about the heart of a marriage, uh, it is actually the heart of a relationship. And that really starts everywhere, right? The meaning of life, I think, really boils down to meaningful relationships. So whether you've been married 25 years, you're newlyweds, you're thinking about getting married, you're premarital, or you're only a child and you dream someday of getting married, at the heart of every relationship is what you're going to hear today, okay? Uh, It is the, the message of relationships is found in the Scripture, and there are several places, but in one that we really take to heart, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. If you stop and think about it, that really is the essence of a relationship. If we do that with our God, we will do that in our relationships. And it's also found in the arts. So there was a period of time where I was studying the Renaissance uh, period. Uh, I was spending time in Italy, and I went to the Sistine Chapel. And I never had a, you know, this overwhelming movement inside of me until I saw the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And I saw this painting. You guys familiar with this? God and the host of angels over here on this canvas reaching out to Adam. Adam is less than enthusiastic. He's just there. God desires a relationship with us. And if we miss that, we miss relationships, period. Okay? Now, as I studied this, and I studied the scripture of the love, to love your Lord, thy God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, I started seeing scripture in this. I focused in on God. And guess what I saw? I saw the mind. I think Michelangelo saw that. He knew that. He knew the essence of a relationship. Starts with learning and knowing your God. But what about the heart? So in the Sistine Chapel, I was getting moved around a little bit, and I saw this same painting from a different perspective. And this is what I saw there. The heart's there too. So it's in the, it's in the context of the scripture. It's in the, art, in the arts. Let us not forget or miss this. Because at the heart of a relationship comes love mentally and emotionally. Okay, how many of you have had an opportunity to maybe go to a marriage workshop or um, a marriage weekend had premarital counseling, maybe marriage counseling, several in the room. And so, you know, at first blush, you're kind of thinking, okay, marriage. It's all throughout the Bible. And what we really found when we started doing some studying is it started all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve, obviously. And when we look at um, the birth of Adam and the birth of Eve, we actually see 
um, different insecurities and different needs that were birthed at that time. So we're going to kind of camp out in Genesis for a little while this morning. So in Genesis 2, 21 to 22, of course, that's when the Lord created Eve. And what did he do? He took a rib from Adam and created Eve. Now, what I want us to focus on is he created her in the Garden of Eden. She was never anywhere else. She was created right there in this very tranquil, peaceful location. Okay, let's look at Adam. So if you look at Genesis 2, 7, and 15, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, we've all heard that, but let's focus on the next, on 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. He was actually created out of the dust that was outside the Garden of Eden in the wilderness. He was actually created in the wild. And so we need to remember that when we think about man, his sense of adventure. I know having a little boy and raising him, there was this sense of adventure that he always wanted to have. And sometimes mom wanted to kind of squelch that, but we need to kind of think about that because it comes into play when we look at the relationship between Adam and Eve. You know, what's also missed there in in Eden was um, you you see the attraction. You see where where Adam first saw Eve and said, wow, this is incredible. You've given me a helpmate. She is beautiful. And and if we look at our relationships, when we meet somebody, we're attracted to them physically, right? Uh, When I first saw Carrie, she was 13 years old at the time. She was wearing Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. I remember the little gold swan that was stitched. I can remember these details. I was physically attracted to that. And so we focus in on those attractions. What we, we tend not to focus in on is the flip side. And, and in Genesis, we actually see the flip side of, of the attractiveness. That Carrie mentioned, the insecurities also were birthed out of, out of Eden. And... So I, we're going to focus there because if you understand that piece along with the attractiveness, you understand the full person and you understand both sides of the relationship. And only then do you truly have a complete relationship. Well, and after being created um, both in the wilderness and then in the Garden of Eden and both being placed in the Garden of Eden, um, then, of course, what happened? Um, we know the fall of man. We know that Eve then partook. And I, I know, ladies, we kind of get the bad rap on that one, that we were the ones who actually bit the apple. Um, but I want to take a little bit of a different take on this. If we, if we look at Genesis 3.12, um, and let me kind of set the story. Of course, um, they have already sinned. And what did they feel immediately that they hadn't felt before? They felt shame. And so God all of a sudden says, where are you? And he knew where they were in the garden, but they were hiding because they were hiding from God because they were shameful. Well, then what happened? He asked, what happened? And it was the woman you put here who gave me the fruit. Okay, I'm just going to talk about the elephant in the room. I read that and I'm like, okay, is... You know, Eve's kind of saying, look, you've totally thrown me under the bus. You could have said, hey, don't eat the apple, come alongside me. Um, And so I 
think at that moment what happened is there was a stirring within Eve, this kind of sense of abandonment. She knew she, I mean, originally was had that abandonment with her heavenly father. Of course, then he came together and brought Eve and Adam together. But he, she also, I truly believe, had this sense of abandonment through her mate, and that was Adam, because he kind of left her high and dry to a certain extent. So, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but if you look at that, we can kind of look at that um, wound in our own lives. And I know for me specifically, I come from a legacy of divorce. My dad, I remember at the age of five, I was riding the tricycle in the garage, and he came up to me and he said, you know, Carrie, your mom and I don't love each other anymore. Um, we're getting a divorce and I'm moving out. At five, oh my gosh, this was it. You know, since then I've had a great relationship with my father. Unfortunately, he did pass in the last six months. But I remember being that five little girl riding around on that tricycle and having that sense of abandonment. And then I had a stepfather that then left. I had some grandfathers that also left. So there was a huge legacy of just this sense of abandonment. And it was um, probably our first big fight, maybe, as newlyweds, that that kind of all bubbled up because we didn't know about that, didn't know about this sense of abandonment, this inner fear. And I remember the argument, but I don't remember what the argument was about. But I do remember at one point, Mark just said, I'm out of here. And he grabbed the keys and he ran out the door and I heard the car start and he left. I didn't know if he was coming back. I didn't know if he was, that's it, we're getting a divorce. So about 20 minutes later, when he found me in a fetal position, literally crying, sobbing on the floor, he was amazed. He's like, I just needed to get a breath of fresh air and kind of process my thoughts. And we had to sit down and really look at, no, this is a wound that I had. And that moment when you left, Mark, took me back to when I was five years old and riding that tricycle around. So he then realized that there was that sense of abandonment. And we kind of looked at when our daughter was born, um, Mark started really dating her, which was kind of exciting because she would get all dressed up. She would think probably for days on what dress she would wear. He would greet her at the door with flowers and they would go out to dinner or go to a movie. And what was really happening here was not only did she realize, and we spoke of the relationship with her heavenly father, but he wanted to have what those expectations were for her future spouse or her mate while she was connecting with him as her earthly father. And so it was kind of a fun time to really see um, Courtney. And now that she's getting married, basically, I hate to say this, Mark, but she's marrying you, which, (laughs) you know, is great. We love our future son-in-law, but in the end, he's a lot like you. Yeah, he is. Um, You know, and I think back at those times, those were great quality time for me and my daughter. Uh, We talked a lot over dinner about why, why I was taking her out and her expectations of a future spouse. Um, And, you know, it it hit me when she was about 16, 16 and a half, and the first, uh, a a date pulled up to pick her up and did the honk, honk. And I go, oh, no, you didn't. And I just sat back, and I thought, what is she going to do? And she sat there. Uh-huh. I thought, wow. 
She waited until he came to the door and rang the doorbell. And we had a talk. I let him know I had no problem going back to prison. I think he got the message. My daughter, though, had expectations. She had standards, and that was modeled to her. And that's our job as parents, right? Now, Carrie shared with you the fear of the woman that was kind of birthed out of that, that Garden of Eden. Well, the, the fear of a man was birthed there, too. Now, I'm going to stress this. If you understand the fears of each other, your spouse, you understand the complete person. When I found Carrie crying, I began to fully understand my wife. I understand her wound. And the fear of a man was birthed there right there, too. Because it happened when God said, Adam, what have you done? And right there, he goes, oh, no. I was given dominion over all the plants and animals. I was given responsibility here. And I failed at the one thing I was told not to do. And now I'm kicked out. And do I have what it takes? Do I I have what it takes to survive, protect my wife? provide for my wife? I don't know what this looks like. I grew up in a Jewish uh, neighborhood. I loved, and I went to Hebrew school with my friends. I loved the Hebrew t- tradition of bar mitzvah. It is a cultural moment where a boy is dubbed a man. In the Old Testament, you see plenty of examples where a father blesses their son. You carry my name. I bless you. And that means a lot to a boy because a boy going into manhood, it says, you've got what it takes. But in our culture today, we don't do that. So many of us, myself included, grow up wondering, do I have what it takes? And that was the fear that men have. My father was a great man, had a great relationship, but he died never saying, hey, Mark, I'm proud of you. You got what it takes. So I make sure I do that with my son. Not before it's time, because there is an inappropriate time. Unfortunately, we live in a society where divorce does happen. Now, I know this isn't the intention, but the worst thing you could do is tell your five-year-old son, hey, we're getting a divorce. If Carrie were a boy and her father would have said, hey, mom and I don't love each other, we're getting a divorce, what follows the next sentence? That the intention's good. You're the man of the house now. No. No, you're not. Not at five. You're not. You're not equipped. You're not ready for that. Aside from the fact that five-year-old go, got it. So at some point in time, I leave. Got it. And we perpetuate that legacy. Carrie lived that legacy. I don't want that legacy anymore. We've got to stop that here and now. So, We were very intentional with Corey. We did a year-long man journey. It wasn't a bar mitzvah, but it was, in a way. We started at age 12. We identified 12 characteristics of a godly man. And for 12 months, I had godly men in my life pour into my son's life. Each month was a different theme, different characteristic. Brad was participating in that. Uh, the, The men were asked to spend a weekend with my son, write him, call him, text him, and pour into his life for a month. And at the end of that one year, all 12 of us got together, along with his grandfathers, and we had a big old steak dinner after a long hike. It was fun. You can do that. We can pass the blessing along. 
and we can help dilute that fear, do I have what it takes? You know, we've talked about um, the two fears, um, fear of abandonment and the fear of do I have what it takes. Okay, I want to just take us back to that moment in Genesis um, with Adam and Eve, but I want to fast forward into the evening. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but after probably even tonight, I'll probably do this, but each time like we're in a social gathering or we're with family or with friends, um, my head hits the pillow and I start replaying conversations. And I'm like, what did she mean by that? Why did he say that? And we call it, I don't know, Mark and I have called it pillow talk. And of course, you know, he's good, he listens, and then in about, you know, 20 minutes I hear snoring. But I want to kind of think about what Adam and Eve, what was happening that first night after the fall. So they're laying in bed, her head hits the pillow, so to speak, and she's laying there going, what happened today? And then I cannot believe that Adam just kind of threw me under the bus. And you know what? If he thinks we're getting romantic tonight, he's got another thing coming. And again, it's kind of a funny um, way to kind of look at where those fears come from. But the one thing, and comically, the one thing that we don't want to do is ever use those as a weapon. And I did that once. Um, I, again, did not remember the fight that we had, but I distinctly remember getting out of the car, slamming the door, and looking at Mark and saying, and you think you want to call yourself the spiritual leader of this house. And I knew at the time, I was totally convicted by the Holy Spirit, that I knew I had crossed a line. And I had cut him deeper than I could have ever with any other words that had come out of my mouth except for those words. And so there was healing in that, but I learned a valuable lesson. And Yeah, because it exposed my fear. Do I have what it takes? And now my closest mate was emasculating me, right? So please don't miss this point. To know the complete person, what you're attracted to and their fears, that is the complete person, comes with responsibility. They are not weapons. How it could sound to me, to her, is that if you do that again, I'm out of here for good. Wow, that plays on her fear. So men, never use that. Women, never use that. Those are weapons that expose and pull, rip off the scab of a wound that goes all the way back to the garden. Please understand that, okay? Now, the context here. I loved... I got to tell you, the worship team, that first song, they were rocking it. But that song had so many great messages in it. And that was God met us in our shame. Look at Genesis. After God laid out the consequences of Adam and Eve's behavior, what was the first thing he did? It's there in Scripture. It's right there in Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He met them in their shame. That's what a loving parent does, right? Even when our child disappoints us or does something, there's punishment. There are consequences. But good parenting meets them in their shame. And God did that very first thing. After he laid out the consequences, he clothed them. Now, this leads in 
to Carrie's work in, in master's. She got her master's degree in counseling, and we were looking at, we wanted to understand what were the causes of divorce and what were the, the causes of successful marriages, happy marriages. And the top three reasons for divorce, infidelity, money, in-laws. Anybody find that last one funny? Anybody relate? Yeah, there's some high fives going on. Yeah. <laughs> Infidelity. This is interesting. In our world of social media in 2010, the divorce filings, 23% of the time, Facebook was named by name as the cause of divorce. That was 2010. What do you think it is in 2017? We know how the conversation goes. That is why I'm not on Facebook. Apparently, somebody has started a false Facebook Please don't look me up because they even have my picture on it. That's not me. But we know how the conversation goes. You'll, you'll connect with an old relationship. Hey, how are things going? Love to catch up. Eh? And you chat back and forth. And then you go, hey, we should meet for coffee. No, you shouldn't. No, you should. Okay? Conversation will lead to remember when. And if that's part of your conversation... Red flag. 90% of the time, you will lead to an affair. If, if a conversation goes, remember when. Because it's never, remember when you were a real jerk to me? It's never that. It's remember that concert we went, oh, that was so much fun. I loved it when you, you know, you do this. I wish my wife did that. That's how the conversations go. Money. My, my daughter and her future son, my future son-in-law, her future husband, are now talking about, hey, what does money look like? There's over 165 references to money in the Bible. God knows that this is a source of stress. <laughs> communication is key. Financial Peace University is a great resource. I think you have those in the, in the community. Whatever it takes, get your money's, money affairs in order. In-laws, Genesis 2.25 says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife and becomes one flesh. That means there is a moment in time when you are no longer under your mom and dad you are with your spouse. We lived that. My mom was a passive-aggressive mom or a passive-aggressive mother-in-law. Anybody have a mother-in-law like that? You can just go like that so your spouse doesn't see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got it. Uh, a lot of pillow analysis. Did you hear what your mom said? No. And she'll repeat it. I go, well, that's not what she meant. She meant that. And, and what I was doing, it was supporting my mom. Thanksgiving came. Uh, my mom threw one of those zingers, passive aggressive, and I thought, I looked over at my wife, and there was a tear in her eye. And I thought, that's it. I said, Mom, hey, could I see you in the other room? And I took my mom in the other room. I said, you do that again, and we're not going to be coming around anymore. What? that look, look familiar? <laughs> and I said, you know what you're doing. And if you're asking me to choose between you and my wife, I've already made that choice. I made it at the altar, and you'd want me to choose that. From that day on, they had the best relationship ever. But sometimes, man, you've got to have that conversation. We've got to leave our mothers and fathers and union and unite in our relationship with our spouse. Okay? Well, and something else that we like to discuss with 
particularly young couples, premarital couples, um, is, and we have this whole session, and it's so funny because we give them like homework, and then we're, you know, this is what we're going to talk about the next time, and we're like, we're going to talk about how to have a good fight, and they're like, oh, well, we never fight. We, we, we don't have arguments at all. We're like, no, 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 no. If you say that, you're lying. The thing is, is differences, I mean, we are very different, and God brought us together for a reason, but there are some personality types and differences that kind of rub each other, and so arguments, fights are going to happen. But what we do like to do is we like to navigate couples through maybe some ground rules, just something nuggets to think about. You may already be doing this or not doing it, but it's something to kind of um, uh, kind of maybe mull over and kind of discuss maybe this afternoon when you guys are out and about. But be aware of who's whispering in your ear. And it's kind of like the pillow talk, but there's that person in your ear. I know sometimes Mark will say something and I take it a wrong way and then all of a sudden I hear that voice, he's always saying that. You know, he always does that or he never does that. And you know what's interesting? If you really look at scripture, Jesus preached to the masses. He spoke truth to groups of people. But when you think of Satan, he was always one-on-one. He was one-on-one in that temptation. He never spoke to a huge group. And so many times it's Satan that's whispering in our ears, oh, he's always doing that, or she's always doing that. So just be aware of that. Second of all is what we learned, and this was probably halfway, midpoint in our marriage, is the whole about feelings. Now, we both debated in high school and then um, did it in college too. So you can imagine how our arguments went because there always had to be a winner and a loser. And we wanted to have rebuttals and we would flow sheet our arguments. So we had to learn pretty early on that, you know what, I can say that wasn't my intent, but what I can't argue with is how I made him feel and vice versa. And so what we've learned is if Mark says, you know what, Carrie, you know, when you did this, this is how it made me feel. And I can say, well, um, you know, I didn't mean that, or I didn't really do that. The bottom line is he feels how he feels and we need to accept that and vice versa. So feelings are a center. Okay, ladies, um, we don't compartmentalize a lot like men do. We're kind of like pasta and everything intertwines. Our relationships intertwine and men can have little boxes and put things in those boxes. And because of that, what women, or at least I'll say I tend to do, is I tend to back up the dump truck. And what I mean by that is if we, okay, I think some people are tracking with me. Um, If you have, um, you know, we have an argument and we're at, you know, really trying to discuss and it may become heated on one particular topic. I sometimes have the knack of bringing up past because I have a Rolodex in my mind. I mean, I can flitter through there and say, do you remember three years ago when you did this? Again, dumping or backing up that dump truck is not healthy. Try to focus on what you are arguing about at that time and try to come to some consensus about that. And then choose the environment and the time. Um, That's pretty crucial. And then positive intent. This is something that I think just really bubbled up in the last few years. I I had to remember that it's not like Mark's waking up in the morning going, how can I stick it to Carrie today? You know, it's not. No, he's my spouse. God chose him for me and he has my best interest at heart. And so when there are times, kind of like that voice, but I need to remember maybe his behavior was pretty frustrating or maybe his behavior just did, 
really missed the mark, but his intentions were pure, and that's what we need to look at. So, And that's what love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul looks like. How you love each other with all your heart, mind, and soul. Understanding the complete person, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and accepting that and knowing that. And actually, we, we have a fun time in life. We've been married... 27 years, but we've dated for a long time. I've known her since she was 13. And in fact, told my friend I was going to marry her when she was 13. Uh, I just knew it. And, uh, but that doesn't mean it's been smooth road, right? So it's important that you understand the complete person. <clears throat> now, uh, we also pastor to pastors because we believe pastors need a pastor. And we pour our lives into pastor relationships and part of uh, one of the organizations I work with is called Pastor Serve, where we believe every pastor deserves a pastor, and we pour into them. And we speak a lot of truth into their lives. But we make sure that pastors have six key relationships in their life. And I'm going to tell you, I think there's some lessons and application for all of us about the relationships we have in our life. And it actually comes, so women, bear with me, because this is an incredible lesson. It comes from the National Football League. Believe it or not. So, anybody heard of the combine games? This is uh, what they do every year. All the new recruits come in, and they run them through all these tests, and the teams are evaluating players. But combine means combination. What you see on ESPN are all just the physical side, how fast, how agile, things like that. And they evaluate them on a scale of 0 to 10. And so this is skills, skills and abilities. What the NFL has found is that a player will be, have a range no greater than one um, in, over their lifetime. So they start this at age 21, and they actually follow them to age 55. And they, let me explain. So if the range of giftedness is between eight and nine, they, they know that if they're an eight, the most they're ever going to be is a nine, for the most part. Uh, no matter how much training and everything that we give them, they're only going to get about a, a point higher. That's great. And that's what, that, that's what we see on ESPN. Same thing is true with godliness in terms of godly men, godly women. We, we can pour in and become very good at the characteristics. But until it gets internalized and part, part of our heart, the mind is only part of the picture here, right? Now, what we don't see on ESPN is what happens off the field. They take the players inside, and they run them through computer testing and psychological testing. They meet with psychiatrists, psychologists, and they're measuring and looking at the maturity level. And what they're trying to do is predict um, a person's maturity level. Is this person going to end up on the front page of the newspaper because he beat his wife? What's that going to do? And the, and the owners will sit there going, I don't know if I want to take that risk. And they call this the maturity gap index. It's this space right here. And the goal is, is to get them more mature faster in a shorter period of time. Now, what they've identified, and this is the application to us, are the six relationships you need in your life. For skills and abilities, so... You're, you're, you, you want to become more um, godly, and, and you're, you're investing in coming to church. Uh, that's great. You need three relationships, minimum. One, somebody you're accountable to. 
okay? That's one relationship. In the workforce, it's called a boss, right? The second is a trainer. This is somebody who is working with us on specific attributes or things that we need to work on. Um, I train a lot of, of, of men around how to stay off the computer. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just setting up boundaries. And instead, we find things that we can work on together, little, little bits and pieces. The third relationship is a coach, somebody who cheers them on, somebody who's going to be your advocate, coach you, guide you directionally, okay? Those are three relationships every person needs in their life around becoming a more mature Christian. Now, regards to the maturity side, we also need three relationships. The first one, a counselor. Carrie has learned in her counseling, a good counselor asks good questions. That's it. Who in your life asks you good questions? Sometimes they're difficult ones, right? But you need somebody who's going to challenge you with good questions. The second one is a mentor. Biblical here. Do not pick mentors who are at your same season of life, your same age. Right? There are a couple of examples in the Old Testament where a young king goes into his kingship, and what's he do? He surrounds himself with his friends, his buddies, who are the same age, same maturity level. Somebody who's immature should not be mentoring somebody else, right? Find somebody who's further down the path than, from you, who's had some experiences, who has, is living a life that you go, there's something special about that person. I need to learn from them. And the last relationship is a friend. This is someone who's going to be a cheerleader and call you out. Hey, did you really do that? All right? People, we need six relationships minimum in our life. <laughs> Don't lose sight of this. And, and I rarely do I take lessons from the NFL, but I like this. And we work with a lot of couples that don't have these relationships in their life. Now, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. We have yet to see a marriage break apart that is not Christ-centered. When you have God at the center of your relationship, things tend to take care of themselves because you're not alone. More times than not, comes along with God is a community of believers who are coming around and helping you too that are meeting these relationships. One last point about this. The minute your maturity line crosses over your skills and abilities line, you owe it to somebody else to be that, to somebody else, okay? You've now earned the right to be a counselor, a mentor, or a friend to somebody else. It's time for you to pour into somebody else's life, okay? If you're there now, pour into somebody else's life. We should not do this thing called life alone, starting with a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the stories you tell. And we thank you all the way back from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And let us not lose sight of the message there that took place right there in the garden that allowed us to become a complete person and a complete relationship. We ask for your hedge of protection around the institution of marriage. We know that there are only three institutions in the Bible that of politics and government,
that of the church, and that of marriage. And Satan is attacking all these institutions. Lord, we need you. We need you at the center of all these relationships. And we thank you for your son, who is the Lord and giver of life, who brings mercy and grace to even us, a broken and busted world. We thank you for that sacrifice. Amen. Thank you all.